Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Welcome. It's Drive-by Cinema, Season 2, Episode... Episode number seven. Seven, is it, Paul? Well, thank you for that. Rescue Yes. Yes. Episode seven. We are... We are not sponsored by Netflix nor Amazon Prime. Makes you wonder, though, doesn't it? Why, why not by now? <laughs> You'd think they would have picked us up. Precisely. I mean, I, or else sponsor us or, or we'll start promoting stuff on Hulu. Well, do you have Hulu? This is my co-host, Paul. And I'm Rick. He's Rick and I'm Paul. And forevermore we will be. But, no, I mean, does any, isn't Hulu Disney or was Disney or some point or something like that? I can't remember. The Mouse House. Paul, you should know. I did work for the mouse. I was never part of the mouse mafia, I'm ashamed to admit. You had to sign an NDA, though, which means you can't tell us. I can't tell you about the underground tunnels that the mouse mafia take, yes, yes. Yeah, to get anywhere. Just pop up like little like little witches in The Wizard of Oz. Pop, up they pop. Down they pop again. Hey, we've got some corrections, thanks to our Discord channel server. Oh, Christ, what, what have we done there? You didn't read them? I mean, I'll have to deliver them then, like the corrections officer, if you will. I like that. Uh, So, Pete pointed out that last week we were talking about Iceland, and I suggested, really in jest... It was a shithole. ...that they were going to go out of business because of food delivery services. And I'd made out that Iceland wouldn't be able to offer a delivery service because they... Because their food is frozen, and by the time it arrived, it wouldn't be frozen anymore. But apparently, Iceland were early adopters to the whole food delivery thing, and they do offer a delivery service. Just not very successfully. How, you may ask, Paul? With refrigerated vans, Richard, perhaps? (laughs) Yes, exactly, yeah. So the delivery is refrigerated to the door, so the cold chain is preserved. I mean, it is difficult because I've never had a parcel come to my flat where I wasn't in, well, certainly not in the last two years, and they rang my bell. You know, it's always been left downstairs somewhere or with the management office. Do they not text beforehand? Yeah, sometimes, I guess. A card will do. A card will do that. If I track online, you know, and watch the van, I possibly might be able to run downstairs. (laughs) That's you tracking it on the app. Rather, they send you a message outside of the app to your message on your phone number, messaging on your phone number and say, look, we're delivering in an hour's time. Amazon used to do that, and since lockdown, they've stopped doing that somewhat annoyingly. Oh dear! Have you missed any parcels? Yeah, they just throw them in the in the lobby of my uh, of my apartment block. So there you are. Join the Discord for chat about delivery food services and an, a near endless sequence of Seinfeld theme tune remixes. Thank Alistair. you for those, Alistair. Yes. I also go roller skating because you know who used to own. A roller disco in the Manchester in Manchester area. Owen Oyston. No. Jimmy Savile. Bernard Manning. So, another thing from my youth. I mean, I did go to that roller disco. Well, let me show you something that might surprise you from my youth, actually. Quite a go long on. time ago, but nonetheless. See, check that out. Because you're, you're a swimmist, aren't you, Paul? Salford. Swimming preliminary. Yeah, I've got I've got another one here as well. But... <laughs> have you been digging these out of an attic somewhere? Yeah, I have literally. Yeah, yeah. Salford swimming en- endeavour. Oh, that's two lengths. I'm sure. What the first one is what we used to call a breadth of the pool, right? And the second one is a length of the pool. Sure. Are, are you sure? Or the baths we used to call it. Pull this. Do a breadth of the baths. <laughs> This. We don't say breadth of the bath anyway, we say width of the pool, don't we now? <laughs> this would Our times be, change. This badge would be sewn onto my Speedos. You're not telling me they give out sew-on badges for a single length or breadth of the pool. You're not supposed to sew it onto your Speedos. For reference to, to listeners that can't actually see us in, in, in smellow vision, it's a large kind of uh, cub badge or a prefix badge from school, sort of four inches wide. Those those are supposed to be sewn into your tracksuit, Richard. I didn't have a tracksuit. You have to put it on your speedos. You don't put it on your speedos. How? No. You were a lifeguard. Only you... only the poor children that smelt of wee and had lice did that, Richard. You were a lifeguard, were you not, at times? I, I was it's... a lifeguard, yes. So not when you're a lifeguard, that. I imagine 
when you see well obviously if you saw me coming to the pool lifeguards would you you would have to recuse yourself wouldn't you from lifeguard duty because it would be a conflict of interest wouldn't it because if there were two people drowning and one of them was me you know you wouldn't triage the situation properly and rescue the appropriate person first so you'd be forced i'm sure you know more about this than me, but I'm sure to rescue like, no one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, you would have to. Re- you would have to excuse yourself from the poolside and find a substitute lifeguard to take. It's not over. difficult. I mean, we used to get breaks every twenty, twenty-five minutes. Right. Oh, but if you saw me come into the pool or someone like me with one of these on their speedos, yeah. you'd know that guy's okay. I don't need to worry about him because he's got the. No, literally, you're not supposed to sew on to your speedos. I've got one of those. That's your bronze survival. Bronze survival, stan- standard bronze survival. Sorry. That meant you could blow up your pajamas and uh, put your head on That's them. That's exactly what I did. Yeah. And ignore the fact, ignore the fact that the poo stain had just got wet and started smelling. <laughs> like everybody brought their pajamas in to throw in the water, and all of them had shitty streaks on them. You know what I mean? Well, Paul. Speaking of strange institutions and the paint that they use on the walls. Should we turn to the movie that we looked at this week? Okay, let's cue some music because we need some. Why, Paul, is this movie called Magnolia? Do you know, Richard, that's a sign of sheer brilliance, isn't it? You come in with a question that is simultaneously... Provoking, penetrating, and very simple at the same time. And I don't know why is it called magnolia. I mean, is, is magnolia a color that is recognised in America, having the same connotations that it does back here in the UK? No, I think a magnolia is a f- kind of flower, isn't it? It is, but I mean, in the UK, it represents a rather now drab uh, color, a color for internal internal decoration. So. And it is kind of white, a magnolia, by the looks of it. Yes, it's 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 an off white. Although, ooh, there's some of all different colours there. I don't know. I'm looking at the flowers here. Sorry. I'm just... So, are there legends associated with these these wonderful flowers? No clue. There's a long Wikipedia article, but it's incredibly horticultural. I don't know why anyone would. Aren't we supposed to die? Digest that for the benefit of our listeners. Maybe, maybe not. We haven't done so. Fuck off, listeners. I, but I don't think it's anything to do with that. I read somewhere, I think, that it was called Magnolia because I think all of the characters and all the story takes place along one road. Magnolia Drive. Or something, yeah. Or Avenue. Yeah, whatever it is. I think that's the idea. It's not clear in the film at all. Maybe if you're an L.A. resident, you might be familiar with it. Oh. Or maybe it's made up. Or maybe you're not supposed to know. I don't know. Well, this is an interesting thing, because this movie starts off with a kind of, uh, I wouldn't say camp, but quite kitsch kind of montage of sort of faked, vintage, uh, looking at weird coincidences. Yeah, he makes a big play, doesn't he, at the start of talking about these three guys who committed a crime and they got hung and their, their names were somehow coincidental. Do you think those examples of weird coincidences were true historically? Were they were they contestable coincidences historically, or were they just made up for the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first coincidence was this crime with these three guys. That's right. Yeah, it's a bit naff. It, it sounded it sounded kind of weird enough to be true, didn't it? In a way, but the second one, I think, is like a question that law students set. It's the one. So it's basically it's the idea this guy jumps off a building to commit suicide. Yes. Uh, and meanwhile, in the building he jumps off, one of the apartments, a couple is arguing, one of them is brandishing a shotgun, and it discharges, uh, misses the person in the, the apartment that they were arguing with, goes out the window, and hits the guy who was falling in the act of committing suicide. <laughs> And his corpse, because he's dead by this shotgun bust, I suppose, lands in safety netting that had been installed to stop people committing suicide at the bottom of the building. So, ironically, he wouldn't have died if he had jumped down and got shot. 
Yeah, and so I think you then pose law students the question of, you know, who do you, you know, what's the crime here? Who do you prosecute? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and there's, uh, there was an extra added wrinkle, wasn't there? Someone had, normally this couple fight regularly and they brandish a shotgun, but it's empty. And that day, that morning, someone had... He had, you know, the guy committing suicide had, 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 had loaded the shotgun. Yeah, for the purpose yeah. of them arguing and shooting each other, but instead he got shot. So it was twist and turn upon twist and turn. So I know this is a sort of in-joke or puzzle for law students to right. go for about, but maybe it's based on a true story. I mean, I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't rule that out. Did you therefore think this is going to be a harbinger or a harbinger of uh, what was to come in the movie? Well, this is it, isn't it? So he's setting this up like something to do with coincidences and meaningful Weird, freaky coincidences, yeah. There's the, that Jungian idea of synchronicity, isn't there? Yes. Which is pretty tiresome. You know, coincidences are really the brain's way of making connections between things that have no connection, really. What I felt was, perhaps this is unfair, but what I felt was this is a kind of a bad writer's get-out of just being able to throw a bunch of random shit together and pretend it was all... <laughs> A coincidence, or that there's some meaning. It's a very postmodern film, this, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I think, he's, in a sense, he's not trying to do the work of bringing any real meaning to the work as he's written it. I mean, the reason I chose it, Richard, was because last week we had Eggman Fig, where we kind of yeah. had coincidences that are explained as not being coincidences, but the action of ghosts. So I, I wanted to contrast this movie, which doesn't, doesn't posit anything supernatural about these coincidences. Really, does it? But just says, look how ridiculous they are. Yeah, what is he saying about them? I don't think, I don't think. Makes a cute film. Makes you think, done it, really, hey? (laughs) Mm. This is Paul Thomas Anderson, who had made his name with Boogie Nights. I don't think he's made a great big name for himself. Uh, But he seems to be highly enough regarded that the people helping him make this film and backing him, giving them money, at no point thought... That he needs an editor <laughs> to cut this film down <laughs> from the size and length that it is. Three hours and eight minutes. And I'm not sure if that includes the title sequence or not. I've never before, when watching one of our films, been moved to, to text you to say that this film is going on for a long time. <laughs> but on this occasion, I felt like I'd been there all, all my life, really, by the time I was texting you. I didn't skip it, and nor did I fall asleep. I can honestly say that... Did it drag? It's sort of dragged. By the time I was texting you, which was admittedly probably in the last 15 minutes, I was thinking, this has gone on for a hell of a long time. Oh, yeah, three hours and eight minutes, yeah. Yeah. But by its nature, you know, it's a series of little vignettes, little sequences, little scenes... Some of which connected together, some of them less so, I suppose. In a way, all of them are yeah. by this flimsy pretext. But by its nature, it's just like it's a bit like watching TV all all evening. Which oh, like channel hopping or or just yeah, yeah. Um, or binge watching a TV series, which is again another thing people do quite happily. So in a way, because of its nature, it didn't kind of demand your attention. It was kind of it was kind of a laid back viewing in a way. Yeah, ultimately for me, it reminds me quite a lot, unsurprisingly, of Shortcuts by Robert Altman. Ah. Uh, now he did some cinematic cinema, cinematographic wonder, uh, particularly in the intro sequence to that movie. He had a nine minute pan, I think, continuous pan or something like that. Uh, there was no wonderful cinematography here, but in terms of tying together perhaps through spurious means, disparate, uh, multi-level, multi-layered narrative pathways, I think it takes quite a lot from shortcuts. In, in the sense that everybody in the movie isn't really related to each other, but everybody in the movie connects to each other through each other. It's like a, it's like a game of Kevin Bacon, isn't it, really? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is N degrees of separation. Yeah. yeah. Except everyone's connected with like two or three degrees here. Kevin Bacon does not appear, but many other quite famous actors do appear in this film. Including Tom Cruise. And I said to Richard, you know, do you mind watching a movie with Tom Cruise? And he said, yes, I do mind. So how bad was it, Richard? 
let me say this about Tom Cruise because I don't want you to get the wrong end of the stick here. Oh. Tom Cruise, first of all, he's very hardworking. He does a lot of films, and he's not bad. You know, I've got time for Tom Cruise. Do you think he was acting or just being himself here? Oh, everyone in this film was acting with a capital A C T I N G, weren't they? I mean, they were really told to go for it. Was it arch? Was it arch acting? I mean, you know, he's putting all of the characters through some pretty deep moments. You know, people are on their deathbed or dying or discovering the long lost father or confronting child abuse or confronting their father who was a child abuser or, you know, finding out that someone had been unfaithful or. It was, you know, there's a lot of heavy stuff that the characters are being put through. You can and as say a consequence, that, yeah. As a consequence, the actors are being asked to act their little socks off, aren't they? And so just to remind the listeners, the idea is that all these, all the events that unfold are somehow maybe weirdly connected in some synchronistic, specious way that isn't defined. Okay, So that's, that's what the movie explores, is how could all these things happen at the same time. Plot spoiler. It culminates in the climax of unlikeliness, uh, which we'll get to later. I was just pulling up good old IMDb and checking the trivia to check about that story that I said was a criminal law class thing. Yeah. And it is indeed, I think, just a story used to illustrate causation. But the first item in the trivia thing is... But when Paul Thomas Anderson approached George C. Scott about playing a role, Scott threw the script across the room saying, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever read. The language is terrible. <laughs> wow. It's funny. I mean, how do you go about explaining the plot of this film as a consequence? Well, I've drawn a diagram. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I love it. But it's not so much about the plot. It's more about, you know, this the contiguous tangential connections between the characters. But by way of that, we could maybe explain the plot. First thing, I'd like to make an observation that uh, John C. Riley, who plays a policeman in this movie, really resembles a policeman in Stranger Things, Jim Hopper, played by David Harbour. So, yeah, plot. Oh, God, Richard. Can we do something else before we talk about the plot? Because the plot is tortuous. Well, we could talk about some of the science, couldn't we? One of the stories in the opening montage... One of the weird coincidences, after the guy jumping off the building, there's something about uh, a casino croupier who um, is a scuba diving enthusiast, and he's oh yes, you know, scuba diving, and a, a firefighting airplane fighting a forest fire supposedly sucks him up into the plane whilst he's scuba diving and then it dumps him over the forest fire and so his corpse winds up in a tree apparently according to the autopsy he'd had a heart attack before he ended up in the in the tree and anyway. didn't his friend commit suicide because he felt bad for saving him or something was that a different one there were quite a few of those i mean no, within five minutes yeah. it was like bam 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 unlikely <laughs> unlikely impossible event unlikely impossible event I thought, well, it's going to be the 14 times, and it's not at the end of it. But, yeah, so I don't know. So what's all that about? Well, I don't think a scuba diver can be sucked up into a I know, but that's plane. to reference the ending of this movie, which, uh, plot spoiler, is uh, raining, not cats and dogs, but raining frogs. Do you see? Oh, that's why. Yeah. Oh, my God. What do you call a deep-sea diver, Richard? Frogman. Frogman, there you go. So that obviously is contrived, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of those moments in the film, isn't it, where I don't know what you're supposed to do with that moment. Did you instantly get that? You're supposed to go contrived and then some. I think, you know, you're supposed to look skyward and then go, oh my gosh, this is really quite pretentious. So at the end of the film, just to explain in case we haven't already made it clear... The characters experience a fall of frogs. Not just you know, the, not just a few. And not small frogs. No. When I imagine what what you hear of as falls of frogs, I imagine they're quite small, like tree froggy sized. You know. Like the, you know, they're only an inch or two, maybe. These, These are, are giant like proper bullfrogs. <laughs> they're smashing, you know, car windows and 
But it's not just a fall of frogs. I mean, it's a carpet. It's a deluge, yeah. yeah. It becomes a mulch. So much so that one of the characters driving down what presumably is Magnolia Avenue or whatever skids her car, doesn't she, on the... On the, on the bed of frogs. Call it, the, the frog slick. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, obviously that has biblical connections from Exodus, I imagine. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's quite a test, isn't it? That, uh, that uh, is it tornadoes or, or cyclones of some sort do whip up sea animals and then drop them down later. And Cornwall gets quite a lot of this. Gets you know, It rains fish down in Cornwall occasionally. Does so, it? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Like you say, it's, it's not a carpet of frogs. Usually, it's it's some very small animals. You know. So. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's science. Yeah. So falls of frogs, small frogs, maybe smalls of scuba falls of scuba divers. I don't think that happens because <laughs> I think any plane sucking water up from a lake would have little filters on the ends on the bits that are sucking the water up. Right. Certainly would do because you want twigs up there. Yeah. Yeah, twigs and trout and salmon going up there. <laughs> Getting back to Tom Cruise in this movie, Tom Cruise plays what we now call, although this is quite early days for this, what we now call a pickup artist. P.U.A. Yeah, this is part of the manosphere these days. But in those days, there wasn't a manosphere. But nonetheless, pickup artist. I mean, it's nothing new, is it? Guys nah. trying to teach other guys how to pick up women. When you say manosphere, what do you mean, Richard? The manosphere is a kind of loose network or collection of man-focused interest groups and conspiracy theorists and stuff like that. Ah. One of one end of which is pickup artists who obviously treat women really as objectives. And a... the other end is incel, or one another end is incel. That's right. Yeah, the guys who are very bitter about womankind for not, you know. Sleeping with them whenever they want. Is this just an alpha beta differentiation, perhaps, or in incel terms? Or there's also there's also the men's rights groups. Now you could argue that shades into some genuine social concerns, but at the same time, it's also full of men who are very bitter about feminism. Yeah, we're talking about people who very much want to roll back equality legislation and so on because they oh, think they're being oh, I see, I see. very badly done by not top thumping outside a wigwam. And then there's um, a group called Men Going Their Own Way, MGTOWs. And these are guys who think that uh, institutions of marriage and so on, similar to some of the men's rights activists, but they think that that's tilted so far in favour of women mm-hmm. that it's a great financial risk or burden to you know hitch your wagon to a, a relationship with a woman. Consequently, they advocate not getting involved with the relationship I think, not only financially, I think they would argue there's kind of emotional... Not difficult if you're gay, really, is it? You know, so I looked at... Intel has got its own Wikipedia. <laughs> like, uh, and uh, it's really quite witty. And it's not particularly bitter. It's kind of ironic. And You know how the incel stuff started? How the word incel came about? Involuntary celibates, presumably. It, but it was started by a woman. Um, ah. And she... The story is now evading me now. I'm trying to tell it. But she sort of started chatting to to guys who were, you know, upset about not having a girlfriend and stuff. And it was a much less confrontational and sort of potentially nasty. But I take your point. You know, certainly, like in any walk of life, not every incel is like a killer waiting to snap. Clearly, that's clearly true. I think... there are a lot of just quite sad, potentially unhappy, and also perhaps maybe black humorous kind of, dark humorous kind of guys as well. Uh, it's only the odd one or two that, you know, where it tips over into craziness. To get back to your question about whether they might just go, you know, men going their own way might just go gay. I'm not so. I think there is a subculture there of guys who forsworn women and kind of make themselves gay or try to live as a gay guy and it's really weird because that's odd really that's very self-deprecating that's almost bdsm kind of style isn't it it's like What's that? <laughs> well you know it, 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 like living as if you are gay and and i think there's also a subculture of guys who transition to women 
to supposedly to you know garner the benefits of being <laughs> to reap the benefits of being a woman. I see. And, In the modern know, world, so, so that they can get a guy or get a sexual partner, you know, but who claim that it's not they don't really want that, but they're having to do it. They're, Getting back to Tom Cruise as a pickup artist. Pickup artistry, by the way, is this idea that respect he, the cock, tame the pussy. <laughs> Wait, said something worse than pussy. But there you go. Yeah. Oh, was it? Was it? Was it the it was C word? word? Yeah. Nice. Which is strong uh, in the USA. Very it strong. is, isn't it? it? But it's this idea that there's a set of rules that you use, which include insulting the woman when you first meet and negging them, and don't call them back for three days or something. They love an alpha, well. yeah. So, so I did you think he was acting here? Well, this is I what just I assume say, right? this is what Scientology is. Thank you for drawing this comparison. I just wanted to say, in a way, Tom Cruise is very well cast here. Just imagine, imagine, Paul, you are Tom Cruise for a moment. Yeah. Just put yourself in the role of Tom Cruise, and someone tells you, with something. or without the high heel shoes. <laughs> Height is not important, Paul. It doesn't matter it's what you do with your. Well, it's the top. He's, you know, he's had he's had embedded heels put in his invisible <laughs> heels put in his, his shoes. Apparently, <laughs> allegedly. Just imagine you're Tom Cruise and you have been told some pickup artistry techniques, like the guy in this film. Yeah, and you go out into the world as Tom Cruise to nightclubs and whatever, and you start. You know, using these techniques. What do you think would happen? You'd be successful. Women would sleep with you in droves. And you would think to yourself, wow, Can this I just, pickup well, artistry thing really, it really works. works. It really works. But it works. It's worked because you're Tom Cruise. Yeah, it works because you're Tom motherfucking Cruise. That's why. With an easy charm, boyish good looks. Not so tall. But it doesn't matter, does it? He's doesn't matter. charming enough to pull it off. But and the, see, same the point is, must the be point true. is inevitably, when, he, when he's seducing these women... He would get into Weinsteinian moments, inevitably. But I don't think he would ever go to court. Why? Because the difference between between a I, creep I, I, and, and, a, and a forceful guy or a confident guy is whether or not you fancy him. Well, I was, I was watching recently uh, some apocryphal demonstration of a social studies kind of uh, field study that had been shown to be true. But they were repeating it with a hundred, hundred people, and uh, they were like showing these criminals who were really ugly or really rather attractive, and okay. uh, and they it was quite balanced the re- re- the recreation because they switched the audience so they each gave verdicts on the ugly and the the handsome or the beautiful criminal in, with identical case circumstances, and the differences in the sentences were just astonishing, Richard. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Two or three times the, the, the time served simply by being ugly. So, like, not excusing Weinstein at all, but he was a really ugly fucker, wasn't he? Yeah, he was like Jabba the Hutt, wasn't he? In a in a cheap suit. Or He's just, he, I mean, just the poor guy, you know. No, I don't mean the poor guy. I don't mean what he did. But I mean, in terms of his looks, seriously, the poor guy. So what I'm saying is, obviously, there are other people in Hollywood who are really handsome who have done the same stuff and got away with it. Yeah, but I mean, if Weinstein had been a good-looking guy, he may not have needed to have assault a lot of women, you know. And he may never have got into the mindset of doing... This is incel stuff talking, though, as I should shut up. <laughs> the thing about Tom Cruise and Scientology, it's the same thing, isn't it? Well, that's, that was my thought. If you're Tom Cruise, if you are the triple A-list movie star celebrity with an easy charm with people and actually a kind of common touch, not full of airs and graces and not a diva... Seemingly, he seems like a very nice guy by all accounts, doesn't he? Hardworking, does his own stunts, incredibly good looking. You go along to, you know, a Scientology thing and they give you the soft soap version of Scientology where they give you a few techniques and a few tricks and may put you through, you know, an e-meter session one time and that's it. And you're now a fully-fledged member and an operating thetan. Tom Cruise goes out in the world and every door opens for him, you know, and Hollywood falls over and gives him every film project he ever wants. Let's him do his own stunts, quite against the insurance company's wishes. And, you know, he must think, wow, Scientology really does work. It's transformed me into a Superman. No, you're motherfucking Tom Cruise. You're already there. 
no wonder saying. he is totally seems totally engaged with it all. And you're right, of course. There is like a a Masonic type thing going on, isn't there? If ever, if lots of people, influential people in Hollywood, are all in Scientology, and you say you talk about his tithing, maybe, maybe not. I mean, I imagine Tom Cruise gets a very good deal. I don't imagine he has to pay for a tithing. Sure, but. yeah, he represents them, doesn't he? He's he's pretty much the pub the public voice of Scientology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, can there be a bigger, you know? face for Scientology, a bigger PR machine than Tom Cruise, probably not. So, I'm sure he doesn't pay very much. In his work, uh, Manipulating Minds, he gives away 95-cent calendars uh, where he gets them to write down <laughs> the men, what they, you know, their con- how they're going to make their conquests. So. so, yeah, Richard, should we get on to characters and plot? So, you just said Tom Cruise plays pickup artist. He's on the, the, the promotional tour, isn't he? That's right. He's giving, he's giving talks in circuit. hotel conference yeah. rooms yeah. for a lot of money, presumably for all the attendees. And we've also got—is it Julianne Moore who plays the red-headed, very young wife of an older television executive who's died? That's right. Yeah. So Earl is the ex-producer of the TV show around which this movie does centre, and uh, his wife, his current wife, is uh, Linda. Linda. Oh, yeah. that's the TV show. Do you know what? I assumed that the reason that you suggested this movie was because you knew that I had been, as a child, on a TV quiz show. No, no. I do remember now, yeah. You know, you were just making a point, needling me, maybe, about how it affected me. Am I like William H. Macy? Am I obsessed with my appearance on the video quiz uh, with Debbie Greenwood? I'm not that kind of person, Richard. Please, come on. But yeah, William H. Macy had been a contestant, a little kid, who had competed and succeeded. I can't remember how well he'd done. What, yeah. what was the show called? What do kids know or something? What do kids know? Yeah, they're pitted against adults. Kind of made to perform like circus circus animals. So Donnie Smith was his character. He's now a lonely gay guy, uh, itching for oral surgery so that he can find his dream boyfriend. He's got no money, just got fired from his job. Yeah, he's fired from his job working at an electronics store by what seemed to be a very indulgent manager, actually. Then we've got Jim the Policeman. Uh, He bumps into Claudia. Very religious. Uh, He bumps into... Sorry, Jim the Policeman bumps into Claudia, who is the daughter of the presenter of the kids' TV quiz show, Jimmy. Now, the presenter is... A, dying of cancer, but hasn't told anyone on the last show, kind of. As is the ex-producer of the same show. Well, he's dying of something. Is it cancer? Yeah, Yeah, probably. I think it also is, yeah. And he's also, it would seem, he was also guilty of molesting his daughter, who now holds it against him very much. And he shows up to her place, where she's been busy banging some guy that she picked up in a bar and snorting cocaine with him. He does a lot of cocaine in this film. Yeah. Which is almost real time, isn't it? <laughs> Over the three hours of an evening. And when he turns up to tell her that he's dying of cancer, she doesn't want to know. She throws him out of the house, very angry at him. Although you don't really find out why she's angry until later when he is, I suppose, out of guilt and concern that he's going to die. He's telling his wife, confessing to his wife. Seven Half acidly. Yeah, he says, she thinks that I molested her. And she asks him, did you? And he says, I don't know. And I wondered whether that was, you know, pure denial or whether you could genuinely be in a situation where you didn't know you'd molested your daughter. The older guy that she picks up in the bar to bang and take cocaine with, that was very uncomfortable. That felt a lot like me. That was the character I felt I was closest to in this film. And he doesn't come across very well, does he? Because he was a bit of a... Oh dear, Richard. Bit of a drip. So yeah, Frank is uh, is uh, Tom Cruise's character, and he happens to be the estranged son of the dying TV producer. So there we go. So it's it's all inter-Nissan and interconnected, and it all comes to a a frothy head. <laughs> oh, one more. The kid Dixon. Uh, he tends to like pop up around the policeman when people are dying. So. A little, little street kid called Dixon. Yeah. And there's also uh, the 
the other kid who's now on that same show. The superstar, the boy. And he's very, who, very clever. He's very clever. He's, he's, you know, the pick of the week. He's, you know, been winning all the points. His name is Stanley. That's right. And his father is a pushy kind of, you know, um, pushy parent kind of thing, isn't he? Yeah. Trying to force his kid to, to do well in this kid. And apparently he's going to break the record for the longest, you know, run of winning shows for the kids' team on this. He in is, which yeah. what happens, apparently, is you have a team of three kids... One of whom is clever, and the other two just seem to be make weights on the team, <laughs> pitted against a team of adults. And it's a bit like, is it Chasers or whatever that game is called? It is like but, Chasers, yeah, that kind of thing. Where the kids are the experts for some reason. Yeah, so he, he has a pageant parent. And uh, so all the, the things just come to a head, okay? So he's desperate to get out of there. He doesn't want to be this pushed kid. Uh, with a pushy parent anymore, and uh, he pees his pants during some difficult question. Yeah. Well, that's because they wouldn't let him go to the toilet. I, they wouldn't I know, let him take yeah. a break. Yeah. Or ref- he, they wouldn't let him refuse to answer the question. Yeah. It's so very he, similar to my experience on first class the video quiz. With quit we'll get to that in a sec. But sorry, Rich. Uh, we'll get to that in a sec. But at the same time as he's peeing his pants, kind of uh, the TV host decides to have a heart attack. Yeah. And of course. They're eager for him to carry on and that kind of thing. He's eager to carry on himself. Uh, and that's when things start to go topsy-turvy in this movie, about an hour from the end. Yeah. So it's a really slong and low, slow, but huge avalanche of a movie, kind of when things go belly up and things just start sliding. What else goes wrong, Richard? Well, the other fucked up thing is Julianne Moore is, she's, as I say, a much younger wife to the elderly, dying uh, yeah. TV executive. Oh, I thought this was the best moment in the movie. But she's going around to several different doctors <laughs> explaining how ill her husband is and getting strong drugs from all of them. And she's, I think, aiming to keep a lot of them for herself, although she is going to give at least some of them to her dying husband. And the assumption has to be that she's a big gold digger, right? That she's yeah. got well, she says as much. And I think this is the, this is the point we were, I thought was really powerful. But anyway, it was on. actually quite a good bit. She goes and to see the lawyer, yeah? That's right. She goes to a lawyer. She's trying to change his will to write herself out of it. Because she's wracked with guilt about the whole idea that she has married him for a She gold digged. She slept around behind his back, you know. But she's fallen and- in love with him, unaccountably. Maybe he's just a very nice guy. We didn't really experience very much of him, did we? At the same time, you know, the ex-TV producer of the same show is dying and, and somehow his wife, Linda, gets his estranged son, Frank, who is played by Tom Cruise, to turn up uh, at the deathbed. And I thought that... His nurse is there all night looking after him on what is presumed to be his, you know, his deathbed, as it were. Um, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. So Frank turns up at the deathbed, and I thought this was another powerful moment where Frank starts swearing at his unconscious dying father. Uh, really, with a certain level of vitriol. What was his issue with his father? That, uh, well, what had happened to his father, uh, that, you know, his now trophy wife, who's regretful about it, was screwing around behind his back. Uh, his father was doing that to, to Frank's birth mother, while she was dying of cancer, so, and Frank was left to, as a fourteen-year-old boy, was left to, to look after her, to yeah. tend to her if she died, kind of thing. So, yeah, look, Tom Cruise is a good actor. He was great in Risky Business, way back in the start of his career, wasn't he? And he gives good performances quite often. He's just a bit of a Scientologist, and it's quite annoying. Um, but I, I, you know, you rate him. I rate him. I think. But Frank, but he also plays like this unhinged. The unhinged side of this, this pickup artist uh, on, on his on his promotional circuit tour. Uh, oh yeah! B- before the interview begins, you know, it's like well, do you know the, the chest thumping in Wolf of Wall Street? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's kind of just weird and unhinged and it's kind of egotistical, and it takes on levels of almost Nicolas Cage weirdness. So, so yeah. But the interesting thing about his character is, outside of his onstage persona, he doesn't seem to be a sleaze. Like there's no point. He doesn't try to seduce, well, not very well. The the TV journalist who's interviewing him, and you don't get a sense that he's. Oh, he's not a pickup artist himself. No, no. 
I think he's think well so. aware that he's just flogging this to, to men that he secretly doesn't have any respect for. Yeah, It's interesting, isn't it, that the way that character is portrayed, and I think this is the strongest bit of the movie, actually, because, you know, particularly as we were talking earlier about incels, people are always looking for, you know, why is someone like this and developmental reasons, and, you know, mm-hmm. you... you you could make a movie like this where his experience of looking after his mother made him one way or another, you know, made him very respectful of women or made him a womanizer. But I, I, yeah, he's a pickup artist kind of trainer, but he just doesn't seem to be a sleaze. It's a really, it's a really interesting and deep characterization of him. But at the same time, you know, one of the things about the end of this movie that you discover is that the old guy dying was cheating on his first wife and then his young gold-digging wife was cheating on him but falls in love with him. And I, I suppose... Uh, are we given to understand that that's one of the coincidences he's trying to draw out? It's not yeah. really a coincidence. It's so much as a statistical... A it's just statistics, right? I Statistical mean, likelihood, yeah. yeah. Cheating is very common, isn't it? I don't think human beings are particularly monogamous. Neither are swans. <laughs> no, well... Well, they're supposed to mate for life, but they don't at all. Interestingly, uh, in China, bestiality is not illegal. I mean, I think a donkey's fair game. I think, you know, if you can handle a donkey, then good luck to you. But a donkey can't give consent. However, you know, it is true that in one part of Colombia, uh, there's a tradition in the culture to somehow grooming or letting 12 or 13 year old boys know about the fact that there are donkeys in fields that you can enjoy yourself with. I presume they're inducted by uncles who have gone through the same thing. And uh, the women folk of the community really like us because they say that when the boys get round to humans, you know, two or three laters on, they know what they're, they're doing. Really, they're really confident and they really know what they're doing. <laughs> so, as long as you nibble her ear. <laughs> Paul, there is a romance story running through this as well. The policeman, very religious, he takes a shine to the young daughter of the quiz show host uh, he actually shows up at her house I think she's playing the music too loud isn't she at one point tripping off her tits on cocaine but he's taken with her and she with him apparently and she's delighted when he asks rather unprofessionally it has to be said asks her out on a date later in the evening at 10pm I think and they do yes. end up going after he has a few more misadventures along the way but they do end up going out on a date. And there's a quite a touching scene, actually, where she makes a sort of speech, an impassioned speech, about being honest, kind of exposing your vulnerabilities and telling the other party, you know, something that you're kind of ashamed of. And you think... I think you assume that she's building up to tell her brand-new policeman boyfriend that she's a coke fiend. <laughs> Uh, I'm wondering how this uh, this very religious policeman is going to take that. But actually what happens is it, he admits to her that he's just lost his gun whilst out chasing a criminal. And the rest of the precinct are calling him an idiot for doing so. Uh, and she never actually gets around in the film anyway to telling him that she's buzzing on coke. So we don't know where that ends up, do we? But it's quite a touching bit. Well, it all ends up with the whole, the whole plotline collapsing within about... 25 minutes before the end of the movie. First of all, Jimmy, the TV host, having had two heart attacks on live on, on, on stage, is home and dis, you know, confesses to, semi confesses to abusing his daughter, decides to kill himself. Uh, but he doesn't do it because as he's shooting himself in the temple, guess what happens? What happens? Giant frog fall. Okay. And they come <laughs> crashing down through the heavens and knock the gun out of his hand uh, and stop him from killing himself. Yeah. Uh, the same frog fall uh, splatters across the road, causes, uh, causes Jimmy to crash his car, having left the date. Uh, but he's chasing Donnie, 
the uh, the ex participant in the game show, uh, who's trying to put the money back that he's stolen from his work, uh, and uh, as he's you know trying to do this, he falls down, lands uh, in a bunch of frogs, but is rescued <laughs> by the policeman. Yeah. yeah, he 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 had stolen the money from the safe, and has a moment thoughts. of conscience and goes to put it back, which is, well, I suppose it's it's good. Linda decides to OD on the drugs that she's been procuring for her dying husband. He gets to see his estranged son, Frank, before he dies. But she ODs and is discovered by the little boy, Dixon, in the car park. She's she's rescued by an ambulance, but during the frog fall, uh, the ambulance crashes into the emergency reception bay, and presumably she's dead. No, she's alive at the end of the film. I'm fairly sure of that. Didn't this ambulance flip? It's just, you know, the ambulance is left there playing prone, isn't it, or something like that. She was okay. I'm I'm pretty sure she was okay at the end of the film. She seemed to be in recovery. I think they were pronouncing, like, like what she'd done to herself. But, yeah, I think she survived. Rose crashes the car somehow, but manages to make up with her with her with her abused daughter Claudia, and Stanley the kid. I think you're imagining more crashes than there actually were. I'm uh. sure. <laughs> I'm sure she crashed a car. Anyway, they make up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, yeah. Rose. Rose definitely crashes a car. The wife of the quiz show host presenter guy. Yeah. She does crash the car. Yeah, that's the only. Road traffic accident I remember clearly. Maybe the ambulance, I don't know. But uh, Yeah, the ambulance flips, man. Okay. Okay. Just as she's arriving at hospital. Well it doesn't really matter to the story, that's the problem with this. Isn't no. It? Finally, okay, kid Stanley, nothing changes for him. He asks his father to be nicer to him, and his father says no. So so that's it. And then it ends. And then somehow there's a voiceover saying, don't you think this is all incredible? How could this all happen at the same night? Well, falling frogs obviously will cause lots of accidents. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's it. End of movie. So, um, yeah, that was quite a journey, wasn't it? I mean, there was a lot going on, wasn't there? And there yeah, was a cheery bit- soundtrack to help us along with Amy Mann, who used to be somebody famous, didn't she? <laughs> well, look, this movie's not all that recent, is it? One of the songs was One is the Loneliest Number. Another song was None of This Will Stop Until You Give Up. You know, it was unremitting oh, <laughs> misery. Gosh. Yeah. That's the bit, of course. They actually, all the cast sing. Do they? Don't you remember that bit? It's an amazing remember, bit don't. where they all sing This Won't, you know, This Won't Stop Until You Give Up. So really, really quite depressing. It's like if Tarantino, if, if quite, it's like the, the style of the movies, you know, if Tarantino had taken just too many depressants and written the most depressing movie ever. It's that kind of thing, you know. Like, because Tarantino used to do these kind of hyper-connected parallel plots, didn't he? But he never explored synchronicity or serendipity in them, did he? Uh and he never explored extremely, extremely depressing issues. So, with a really, really miserable soundtrack on top. So, <laughs> so yeah, I'd be mean, brave in a sense, do you not know think? It's an unusual film, there's no question. Do you um, think they make movies like this anymore, Richard? It reminded me of that Nothing Really Happens. Except, you know, ironically, in Nothing Really Happens, more things happen, with the exception of the frog fall. Uh, and yet, in this film, it's bigger and there's more drama and there's more acting going on. So, mm. it's a paradox, really. And what's it all about? Oh, so well, I thought it was going to segue into assisted dying, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't do at all, does it? Not really. No. I mean, what she gives him liquid morphine at the end. Uh, a, the young wife gives her elderly husband liquid morphine. She's told by the doctor that. That will kind of be the end of him. He won't, he'll be in and out of consciousness and he won't be him there yeah. anymore. And it seems, I think that's as close as we get at the moment, isn't it, to euthanasia for, for people. It's They call it palliative care, don't they, when they're just giving copious quantities of morphine to people who are not, not really going to come back from it. But, yeah. <sighs> Paul, let's do acting then as a score. Sorry, I've, I've got to, before that. What is it all about? We don't know, really, do we? Let's be honest about this. It's obviously about loneliness, and it's obviously about death, and it's obviously about chance coincidence, whether chance coincidence means something. 
But it doesn't tie these three things together at all, does it? In any meaningful way. It's partly about loneliness. A lot of the characters are very alone, even even when they're with people. And it's about people falling apart in a way, isn't it? It's about people being brought down, being brought low. I mean, it's got an amazing cast. Yes. Multiple award winners. And Tom Cruise, you know, he's a standout, I think, for this. Um, like I say, despite the fact that he's a Scientologist, I don't, you know, I can't fault a lot of his work. Uh, so he's got great diction. That's what's so great about him. There's a sense, though, where he's always playing the slightly manic guy, isn't he? There's an intensity to him that I think, yeah, he he, yeah. he, he channels quite well into his characters, yeah. Um, there's a kind of starry-eyedness that isn't wild drug adult hippie but it's quite there's quite there's a wildness to his stares isn't it that he gets he gets in those characters Philip Seymour Hoffman of course who I think is dead now sadly is, is that right uh-huh. he, he plays uh, the nurse and he sadly kills a dog accidentally uh, but great actor and he he played it beautifully you know he was a very kind of touching caring nurse for that old fellow the old fella being played by Jason Robards as well in his last role. William H. Macy, brilliant actor. Julianne Moore, also good. John C. Riley, he's okay. He's got a bit of the comic actor-y kind of element to him, doesn't yeah. he? Uh, but the he copper, wasn't, yeah. He wasn't really funny in this one. but Although, I suppose the copper thinks he's funny. He's not, though, is he? Acting, look, I've got to give this an eight, I think. Maybe even an eight. Yeah. Uh, I thought the acting was brilliant, you know. Uh, so I'm going to give it a nine. A deserved nine, too. Really good acting. So I think we have to talk about the plot, the storyline. This film needed an editor, right? I mean, uh-huh. you, you could have done elements of this as a story in themselves. You could have done a story about kids who had been on quiz shows, you know, hitting hard times or peeing their pants. You could have done a story about a pick-up artist. But I think it wanted to be deep and universal and connect everything and failed to do so, obviously, because it just... Too much, too much. Too yeah, it threw stories. its net far too wide, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you know, like I say, it's enough stuff here that you're not too bored by it, even despite the fact that it's three years long. Um. <laughs> I like I like, I, I like, the movement, you know, the way that things all collapse together that everything goes wrong at the same time and I just like you know this uh, this avalanche of frogs that occurs it really the vaulting ambition on it it really surprised me just this oh yeah it's surprising yeah spattering frogs, frogs. Yeah. but the violence of them you know the blood and the broken bones of them the crunch of them on the car wheels you know I just thought it was so vulgar and so exciting at the same time so you've got to give it a points up for that do you think that's deliberate do you think when he wrote that scene he said in the script, big frogs, really big frogs. <laughs> or do you think he just wrote shower of frogs and the prop or the special know. effects department just came up with big frogs and he said, oh, well, fuck so it. So you're saying this it. is not a plot issue, necessarily. I, I don't know what it means, Paul. It's just a random thing. Is it a random coincidence? <laughs> it's semi-biblical and, and, and this kind of, in this, I don't want to say pseudo-intellectual, but in this, in this, Deep treatment, deep heat treatment they're giving to the movie. It kind of fits in, doesn't it? So, I don't know whether to mark it up or mark it down for the frogs. I'd give it mark up. I'm going to give it six for the plot. Uh, yeah, I'll give it a. I'll give it. Going to go five, aren't you? I'm going. I'm going to go five because. I, it's too long. I think. I think it is too <laughs> long, and I think the frogs are. You know, in a sense. That bit at the beginning where he goes, hey, coincidences, <laughs> what can you do? It's like an excuse for the frogs at the end, isn't it? It's like he, well, at the end he says, none of this thing. could ever be a coincidence. It must mean <laughs> something, man. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. All right. Um, I don't know. Do we do special effects? Do we do science based on I the... I think we do frog effects, yeah. yeah frog definitely. effects. The fake stories at the beginning. Question for law students. The sucking a scuba diver off. Which is an urban legend. That you've got to mark it down on the sites for some of those. And the bad sites are the big frogs as well. Uh, okay. But the special effects are convincing enough, are they not? Such they as are, they are. Yeah. 
as you say, they're quite visceral. You really feel the thud of the frog. Yeah. Of a wet frog. So, so what's your final score on that, Rich? I'm intrigued to find out. Oh, I'll give it a six. Ooh, that's a bit high. I was going to give it a five. Okay, that's three categories. Can we think of another category? But this is obviously not just pretend to be artistic. This is pretend to be intellectual too. So, so how about a, you know, a young mandala score? What was the mandala score for this? Did it make you go om in any way? Or even anti-om? I don't think this movie is going to live with me and teach me a deeper truth about the world, if that's what you mean. Yes, deeper truth score, yeah. What it does do is it feels pretty L.A., right? It, it's got a very oh, yeah. L.A. evocative thing about it. You feel it's very inside baseball, this whole film, right? Um, I, maybe Boogie Nights was in the same way, I don't know. But it achieves that. It also achieves this thing. It does feel like you're spending an evening watching this. Well, you are spending a fucking evening watching this. But, you know, you almost as like real time as you're watching. Yeah, for that, I'm going to give it a six. What was this score for weightiness? No, for this is your om factor, your mandala factor. M- mandala factor. You scored it what? I scored it a six because I'm gonna, this is my lowest score for you know. Ultimately, I thought this was fake and trivial, and uh, I think it was just a throwaway. Let's connect. Let's connect these people weirdly through freak occurrence of, of, of raining frogs. So. Yeah. Didn't didn't buy it in the end. Although I did like how it started out. I thought it was going to be. I thought somehow we were going to get a mirroring of the the weird sort of 14 times uh, freak coincidences from history that we saw at the beginning, uh, but we didn't do. So, yeah, it, it's just fake. So it didn't really connect. So my final score is six. Yeah, but I don't know what you're thinking about this, Richard. Intellectually, it's a failure. As a mood, it's... I think it does work to a degree, and it does have its moments, right? It does. Mm. Yeah. But could I honestly recommend someone spend three hours watching it? <laughs> no, not really. Well, you can't cut any of it out. Can, is that really true? That's a great question. Can you not cut anything, any of it out? No. No. Uh, I think I, you have to live the soundtrack. I think you have to reach for the medicine bottle as the soundtrack gets to you. I think you could cut out the entire story about the policeman and the girl um, getting getting off with him. I think. Uh, And I think you might get away as well without the quiz show host. Um, Yeah, because he just has a heart attack, doesn't he, really? Ultimately. Yeah, I'm simply saying, though, you could have cut that out of the movie and still had what I think are the good bits. So... But, I mean, could you reliably find out where those bits are in the movie to cut them out? Well, I'll give it a five then overall. Okay, so not a recommend from Richard. A very, very slight recommend from me. So, what movies have you got for us where people meet their their just desserts? Well, well, today we've got two movies that uh, I'm sure you'd be very interested to hear of, Richard. One is Hush, which is about uh, bullying deaf people. And the other is Host, which is about bullying people that don't have the sufficient amount of internet security. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we're back onto movies with one-word names. It's it's easier to type. <laughs> uh, oh well. <clears throat> okay, well, I suggested Host the other week, and I have seen Hush. Oh, so I'm inclined to say. I would like to see Host, even though you don't want to see it, because it's another I do want to screen see it. film. It was just, I was a little bit emotionally weak and fragile uh, last week, and uh, so I thought that Host might not be the best movie for that time. So you thought, you saw that Magnolia would be better. <laughs> well, it's got frogs. Well, we got through it, didn't we? Oh, I didn't we did jump. Through. Yeah, there we are. So, Host is my decision, everyone. Pay attention. Host is next week's movie. And if Paul edits this out and replaces it with the name of a wrong movie, then <laughs> I'm now blinking a duress code. I'm not so these are not my words. <laughs> okay, so do join us next week for episode eight of series two of Drive By Cinema. And as ever, see you in the next one. Goodbye. Ciao for now.
Thank you.